We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself. Because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order? Cashback guru? Low intro APR lover? With US Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. US Bank credit cards are issued by US Bank National Association ND. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. You know, it's 12.02 right now. If they want to fire me at 12.05, I'll go home and find something to do. I'll have a good day. Welcome to the Rotowire NBA podcast presented by FanDuel.com. It is Thursday, January 9th. Nick Whalen here. Alex is out of the office this week. He's hanging out in Texas. Uh, so to fill in, I was lucky to grab DK Live's Ben Zweiman. Ben, appreciate you taking the time today. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Um, great to be uh, over on the Rotowire NBA podcast. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited to talk about NBA. I haven't done much uh, podcasting stuff, so... Yeah, I'm ready to get into it. Yeah, we've had this in the works for a couple of weeks. Uh, you and I have done the DraftKings, uh, the Sweat show uh, that mm-hmm. airs hour or airs daily uh, for an hour. It used to be in the evenings, now in the mornings. Um, so yeah, we kind of met through there, and glad we finally got this going. But um, so your official title is the NBA deputy editor at DK Nation. My right. first question is, what is the difference between DK Nation and DraftKings? So. I was originally, like you mentioned, I was on DK Live um, working with Alex Jankowski and Shirag Hira. Uh, Shirag, great NBA mind. Um, he's taken over on DK Live now. Um, he also was at Roto Grinders. 
Um, so yeah, I was on the DK Live app, basically sending news alerts. Um, and then this opportunity arose um, with SB Nation sort of partnering with DraftKings. Um, so I technically work for Vox Media now. Um, so SB Nation pretty much built DraftKings a website called DraftKings Nation. Um, and I'm over there um, as the NBA deputy editor, pretty much handling all their NBA content um, on a daily basis. Um, it's a very new website. Uh, we pretty much started uh, week one of the NFL season. Um, but yeah, we're really building up a nice following. Um, we have everything from you know basic news to um, DFS, uh, fantasy season-long analysis. Um, we also do a lot of gambling, a lot of betting analysis, um, mostly focused on DraftKings uh, Sportsbook and, of course, uh, DraftKings contests. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I've been over there since November, um, so for a couple months now. And, yeah, it's been it's been great so far. Um, we have a lot of freedom. We're just sort of trying to figure a lot of stuff out. Um, but, yeah, we've gotten a lot of uh, traction so far. And, um, I mean, check out the website. It's We're pumping out content on a daily basis. Um very similar to a lot of stuff that you guys are doing at Rotowire, but um, yeah, I mean, it's it's been great so far covering yeah. the NBA. Yeah, dknation.draftkings.com is the URL if you want to check that out. Uh, have you been in sports media basically your entire working life? Pretty much, yeah. Um, I got out of college in 2012. I went to West Virginia. Um, oh, nice. So I've been a big sports guy. I went to school for journalism. Um, when I got out of college, I was kind of like a lot of like recent graduates, right? Like we're all just trying to break into the industry sort of, I was doing like a merchandising job in supermarkets for a while. Um, but actually I got my start with Rotowire. Um, I forget how it really came to fruition. I sort of was just scouring for jobs, freelance opportunities and sort of stumbled upon Rotowire. Um, and I was doing a lot of those, uh, blurbs at night, just cover it, like recap stuff, just covering like NBA games. Mm -hmm. I think that's what I started out on. Um, I was doing NBA articles. I was doing a lot of NHL content. Um, and even when I broke into the industry, my first uh, my first stop was Bleacher Report. Um, I've bounced around a lot. I've worked yeah. for Bleacher Report, um, NHL.com, CBS Sports Network, uh, and then DraftKings. And now I'm here with, with Vox. Um, so yeah, but Rotowire was my start. And I had been writing for Rotowire up until I got hired by DraftKings, I believe. Right. <laughs> Because um, that's that's how my old boss, Alex Jankowski, found me. And they contacted me on Twitter. They had seen my NBA articles mm -hmm. um, for Rotowire. And they were like, hey, this guy's like pretty good. He knows what he's talking about. And right. that's sort of how that springboarded. So honestly, I owe Rotowire a lot, a ton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're, we're now having you pay that back by, by forcing you to come on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I figured, yeah, a little, you know, reciprocation. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm glad to talk NBA. I, I love talking sports, man. Yeah, same here, man. Um, so I didn't know you went to West Virginia. Did you? Oh, yeah. I I was a huge, huge, huge. Still am, but was more so like in middle school and high school, a huge college football fan. So did you overlap mm -hmm. with the Pat White, Steve Slayton era at all? I did. I went to Pat White's last home game at oh. Mountaineer Field. Oh my goodness. No, yeah. Uh, I actually I remember a lot of. So I was like sort of choosing between two different colleges, um, West Virginia being one of them, and. I was a senior in high school when Rishrod left for Michigan. Ooh. Bill Stu comes in the coach in that Fiesta Bowl, and it's the Leave No Doubt team, yep. and they just destroy Oklahoma. And after that, I was like, "Yeah, I have to go to West Virginia." Like, <laughs> what, what was the other school you were considering? Um, was it I, was it Oklahoma? Very before random. That game? There were. <laughs> I wish. Um, 
So the other the other two, SUNY Oswego was one of them, which okay. is up on Lake Ontario. They actually have a really good uh, – they had a good journalism program and a really good D3 hockey school. Um, so that was a little appealing. Um, and the other one was URI. Um, those were the two others that I was choosing from. But uh, West Virginia just made the most sense, right? It's just a big – there's a lot to do there. Um, you know, big party school, uh, great programs, like great journalism program. I owe them a ton. Um, and yeah, just the sports programs were really on the up. Cause that was also when, um, I believe, I think Bob Huggins had coached one season before I went there. Mm -hmm. Um, he had just came back and honestly, I'm more of a college basketball guy. Um, and West Virginia hoops is just, it's, it's one of the best teams that I follow. I think, you know, they, they have some down years, but just Huggy Bear always has them, you know, ready to go every other season. And this year they're, they're ranked. They just knocked off Ohio state, um, a yeah, they're, they're the ago. top 20 right now, aren't they? Oh, yeah. I think yeah. they are. They're um, 17th, yeah. Yeah. They they played Kansas pretty tough over the yep. weekend. Um, ended up losing, but like they always lose at Kansas, so that wasn't too surprising. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's just always exciting when they're in the top mm. 25. Well, I, I did not bring you on to talk college partying, but I, I went to Wisconsin, uh, Rotowire's based uh, yes. in Madison. You know, we're, we're right in the shadows of the Kohl Center. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm sure you've seen those same lists that I, that, you know, my friends and I used to used to look forward to during college. Like, does West Virginia live up to the hype as usually being like a top 10 school on those lists that Barstool or whatever, what other outlets are putting those out? As, as far as like partying? Yeah, yeah. Partying's in, in your opinion. Yes. Completely unbiased. Yes. I, won't, I won't go into details, but yes, it, West Virginia lives up to the hype. If anyone's been, anyone who's visited there can probably attest to mm-hmm. it. Um, I, I was there, my senior year was when we were number one overall party school. It was before Barstool. Coincidentally, time. Your, your senior year, you rose up the rankings. <laughs> I did. I, it was definitely because they recruited me there and mm-hmm. stuff like that, just to drink and whatnot. <laughs> um, okay, well, let's get into some NBA talk uh, before this goes too far off the rails. Um, I, I want to talk just about you know we can we can kind of focus fantasy, non fantasy, um, but we'll we'll kind of use that as a guide for some of the guys that maybe you were too high or too low on coming into the year, and you know we're getting to the point where. You know the season's almost halfway done. Um, you know we're not we're still basically a month away from the All Star break, but you know a lot of teams are coming up on their 40th game of the year, so we have enough of a sample that we're well past that first month of the year where you kind of have to take everything with a grain of salt. Uh, but who are some guys? I guess we'll start with this so that you are too high on coming into the season, and for fantasy purposes, maybe it burned you, or you know just for for real life NBA purposes, have been kind of disappointing. Um. Well, I I actually have a lot of. I have some guys, maybe not so much that I was high on starting. I don't play as much season-long um, NBA, mostly DFS. But since I had to leave DraftKings, I kind of have to. I can't really play um, much DFS now. Um, but I mean, I feel like just overall, uh, some guys that have really surprised me. I mean, Devonte Graham's a guy that surprised me a lot. I think a lot of people were high on Terry Rozier, right, heading into mm-hmm. this season. A lot of people thought he would go over to Charlotte um, from Boston and sort of just become the guy there, and it really didn't work out that way. And I think people were a little I, – I think that was a spot where, you know, maybe maybe people got ahead of themselves a little bit, the scary Terry kind of hype. Um, but, I mean, Devonte Graham's a guy that sort of came out of nowhere, um, really surprised me. Um, a guy, a guy that I, I'm in Boston, uh, since I had to work for DraftKings. So obviously a lot of Celtics fans up here, the whole Jalen Brown versus Jason Tatum thing this season has been really, (laughs) really interesting. Um, mostly because if you look at Jalen Brown's ADP compared to Tatum, 
it's like night and day, right? Jalen right. Brown, Yahoo, 115, uh, ESPN 97th overall in ADP. Um, Brown's just been the way better player. Um, you have the whole, he's only 19 crew. Like they're just, I don't, they've, they've got really nothing to base it off of anymore. Um, Tatum was like top 40, top 30, um, in terms of ADP in both Yahoo, uh, and ESPN. And now, I mean, we're seeing Brown really evolve into more than I, I thought he'd be just like a three and D kind of player. Um, but yeah, it's just not really the case anymore. Um, and even like Hassan Whiteside, a lot of people were very down on Hassan Whiteside, myself included, I think going into the season. Um, and he's already, he's, he's ranked fourth overall in Yahoo. Um, his ADP was really low. Uh, I mean, he's one of the top, top rebounders in the league. He's shooting 60% from the field. That's top 10 in the league. Uh, he's the best shot blocker in the NBA, probably at least statistically. Um, so yeah, I mean, those three situations in general are just a couple that I, I, I picked out as far as like ADP is mm-hmm. concerned at season long. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's. I really sort of had to shift gears a lot because I was covering every sport before I went over to uh to DraftKings Nation, and now right. I'm just so focused on the NBA that I kind of had to like just hop right into just getting immersed with basketball again. Not that I wasn't, but like right. football is so big, obviously, and football was the big thing for us um, over at DK Live, um, and even now I'm still doing a lot of fantasy football stuff. Um, so it's a little hard to just kind of jump in to season long. Um, again, like DFS is really like where I focus a lot of my attention. Um, but like, again, we provide a ton of great like season long content over at DraftKings Nation. Um, we do a lot of DFS analysis articles. Um, but yeah, those are just a couple of guys that I picked out um, as far as ADP. Yeah, Whiteside is a great one. I think I mean, with him, like the numbers were always there. That was never the concern. It was more... You know, you're putting this guy out in the in the middle of the Pacific Northwest. You know, he was very clearly a Miami guy who, kind of on his own accord, you know, seemed to wear out his own welcome. And I, I think to me, like, it wouldn't have been surprising if you know maybe they didn't have all these injuries. He was like benched, you know, by this time if Zach Collins was healthy and things just didn't go well. But I think the <clears throat> excuse me, the confluence of of Collins getting hurt. Um, and kind of forcing him to play this huge role night to night, whereas at the end of that season last year, I mean, he got overtaken by Adebayo, and then as we've seen now, rightfully so, but I mean, he was basically in a role of 20 to 25 minutes max per game in Miami, and the situation in Portland, you know, obviously hasn't translated to a ton of wins, but it's been pretty much ideal for him, you know, I think as an individual and, and as a fantasy player. I I'd never... Never would have saw this coming. I mean, I, on a per minute basis, I guess this is kind of how his numbers have always been. But it just never seemed to me that that everything would break this way, and he'd be leading the league in blocks as we're you know almost to the halfway point. Right. And if you look at his, like you mentioned, the minutes he's played at least thirty three minutes, thirty two minutes in each of the past six games. Mm-hmm. He's getting a ton of usage too on on most nights. And I think the big thing is he's playing with two elite guards, right, Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. Um, and even he's got a like the I really the Blazers are very polarizing. I don't know why the Blazers are this bad. I think it's it has a lot to do with depth. Their bench just isn't isn't nearly as good as it had been in the past. Um, and I mean they could really use Joseph Nurkic back, right? Right. And that, that doesn't really appear to be happening this season. Um, but so yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've heard I've heard like February for him. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's they're they're a team that if you're talking about teams you are wrong about instead of players. For me, 
I, th- I thought Portland would kind of just keep doing what they've been doing the last three mm-hmm. years and be right in the mix in that you know three to six range in the West. And it's pretty clear now that they're they're just going to be in that slew of teams competing for the eight, if maybe the seven, if OKC falls back a little bit. But that is the one wild card for them, where you look at the other teams they're competing with, you know, Sacramento, Memphis, San Antonio, Minnesota. Those teams don't have another piece like Nurkic coming back. You know, they have they have you know Towns has been hurt, Bagley's been hurt, but those guys have been mm-hmm. in and out. Like they haven't had Nurkic at all this year. And I think that's kind of the one big wild card that could ultimately end up maybe not salvaging this season. I don't, I don't think they're a team that's going to get past the second round at best. Um, but I think we, we kind of have forgotten how great Nurkic was last year. And if he comes back at even 80% of what he was, I think that's probably enough to make the difference between them and a lot of pretty uninspiring teams at the bottom of the West. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Because that's really all they're missing, right, is that front court depth. Mm-hmm. And, and, if, and like if you look at it, they – they have a pretty good shot of getting that eight seed. I don't know if they can get any higher than that, which is which makes it tough, right? Because then they're probably playing the Lakers yep. um, in the fir- in the first round of the playoffs if that's how it shakes out. But I mean, and we'll and we'll probably touch on this a little bit later if we talk about trade stuff. But if they can swing a deal for Kevin Love, and you're looking at a starting five of Damian Lillard, C.J. McCollum, Carmelo Anthony, Kevin Love, and Hassan Whiteside or Joseph Nurkic um, as an eight seed, that's right. kind of scary. Um, especially when you have a guy like they, they pretty much have everything, right? They, they can space the floor. They have bigs that can shoot. Mm -hmm. They have a guy that can defend the interior and they have two guards that can hit game winning shots. And that's pretty much what you need in the playoffs. Yeah, no, I agree. I I think the mellow situation, which we haven't even touched on has worked out about as well as it possibly could have. You know, he's coming Mm -hmm. off of a game winner against Toronto the other night. I was, I was in the camp that that would be a three week experiment and it would kind of fizzle out (laughs) and we'd kind of, we'd forget about it by the all-star break, but uh, I mean that's gone. That's gone really perfectly for them. Um, I, I would argue too that they maybe could use a little bit more depth on the wing. I mean they lost Rodney Hood to a torn Achilles, and I mean not that he was the greatest small forward in the world, but now now it's Ken Bazemore playing 35 minutes a night. You know Mario Hazonia has basically been unplayable whenever they've tried that. They've had to force Nas Little into some minutes that he's probably not ready for. So you know maybe getting a guy like Kevin Love and you can you can play Mello and, and go a little a little bigger. You know have Mello maybe slide down to the three in some lineups. Maybe that partially solves the problem, but like you said, I mean they're they're a team that is probably destined for the seven or the eight. But if if everybody comes back and is healthy for that series, I think if you're if you're the Lakers, you don't want to play that Portland team. You'd rather play OKC, San Antonio, um, you know Minnesota if they're able to climb up. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Well, you mentioned Terry Rozier as as I one did. of your guys uh, at the beginning, and I think Devontae Graham. It coming out of nowhere i mean we i've talked about this on on this podcast before that I, I can't remember a situation where a guy's been this good and this valuable in fantasy and there was just no chatter whatsoever about him I and mean, we've had guys come out of nowhere before but they've been you know they've been someone that's that's at least been on the radar and Devontae graham was not being drafted anywhere you know i mean he was a guy that when we do our preseason outlooks projections like he was a borderline like oh we'll get to him later type of guy because nobody cares about him and you know for him to be doing what he's doing i think has overshadowed the fact that terry rozier has actually been pretty good i mean the the field goal percentage is about what you'd expect um for for a guy who struggled in in that regard in boston but he's up over 42 percent now after being under 40 percent the last four years the three-point percentage is up close to 39 percent. i mean he's averaging 18 four and four with, with over a steal per game i think he's been about as good as advertised but the emergence of Devonte graham has has kind of overshadowed that Oh yeah, and 
the thing the the thing that I take away from Graham emerging is it's one of, it's it's the it's the age old it's the age old thing with uh with front offices that these undersized guards aren't going to be able to translate into the NBA um and I and I think especially in today's NBA you really have to start thinking out, outside the box with these guys because um, if you look at, at Graham from college because again Kansas guy I I was watching him for the most part um when he was in college as a West Virginia fan and he would torch us. And if you look at his senior senior year stats, he was averaging 17 points, seven seven assists per game, pretty much playing the entire game. Um, and he's under again, he's undersized. He's six foot. He's six foot one, I believe. Um, so he's sort of in that like Kemba mold. Mm-hmm. I think he he's not as good of he's not as polished a scorer as Kemba. But I think like when Kemba came out of UConn, a lot of people viewed him as like he was a lottery pick. But a lot of people didn't really know if he if his skill set would really translate to the NBA. Right. Um, and I see, I think with the assists just this year, 7.8, um, 7.8 assists per game for Graham. He's a great passer. Like some of the plays he's making, like I've, I just went back and watched some highlights on him before this. And it's just like, this looks a lot like what Chris Paul was doing with the pick and roll. And he doesn't have a lot of talent on that Hornets team, but he's really elevated them. Right. A lot of people thought the Hornets were going to be absolutely awful this season, um, that they'd just be in the basement, but now they're what, a couple of three games outside of the eight seed in the east um they're, they're competing for the playoffs uh i think a lot of that has to do with uh rosier and graham you know that's mm-hmm. that backcourt is really driving them um but yeah i i think gms need to really start you know think outside the it's not all about athleticism it's more about you know graham's a guy he was playing under bill self at kansas you know great basketball mind uh, he played for all four years. We've seen this happen. Malcolm Brogdon's a great example. I was very high on Brogdon coming out of the draft from Virginia, basically because he played in a very a, a great system under Tony Bennett, and they were very successful in college, and he was a guy that could always play defense, and he just seemed like a guy that was going to come into the NBA and be able to carve out a, a role on any team. And then we saw what he did with the Bucks, and it sucks that he's – been injured for most of the season with the Pacers but when he's been healthy he's been great um so he's I think I think a lot of these four-year guards mm-hmm. that are in strong college programs get overlooked um and Graham's one of them and I think that I don't know it needs to t- I don't know if it needs to change I don't know if GMs need to sort of like reevaluate their needs and you know stop stop looking at these freak athletes who like maybe can't really fit into a system but have mm-hmm. all these you know, unless you're a Zion type or like a Ja Morant, like I just, I think they need to sort of get a little, um, get a little smarter. Um, and and hopefully Graham's emergence and some of these other guys emerging will sort of wake them up. Yeah, I like the Kemba comp for Devontae Graham. I mean, they're, they're not the exact same player and Kemba's probably even a little bit smaller. But I, I think mm-hmm. with where Kemba is now in his career, you know, on the cusp of probably going to a fourth straight all-star game, like it's pretty easy to forget how bad he was early on i mean he was a 36 percent shooter as a rookie in in charlotte i mean and those were that was an all-time bad charlotte team i think that team won like seven games it was a lockout year but they were on pace for something like 11 or 12 wins and and it really took him a while i mean he was under 40 percent from the field in three of his first four years you know really was not a good three-point shooter at all uh until the 2015-16 season so yeah i, I think graham can be you know, somewhat of a, I guess, sort of like a reverse cautionary tale for, you know, for, for scouts to maybe follow the numbers more than, than follow the projections. And we saw maybe a little bit of that in the 2019 draft. I mean, I'm not very confident that that'll carry on 
going forward. But you know, after the Williamson Morant Barrett trio, you had you had to see or an upperclassman in DeAndre Hunter go fourth. You had Rui Hachimura, another upperclassman, go ninth. Cam Johnson went eleventh. Uh, but to me, that felt like it was maybe more of a byproduct of a weak lottery as opposed mm-hmm. to teams specifically targeting older players. Right. Yeah. I think overall this draft was really Zion, Jaw. Even I don't even know if I'd – I think Barrett will end up being a pretty good player. I don't think mm-hmm. he'll be like a perennial – I think Ja Morant and Zion will most likely be perennial all-stars or at least make it to a handful of all-star games when it's all said and done. Yep. I don't know if Barrett's that kind of player. But after, after those two players, it was very much a wait-and-see kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I think there are a lot of – a lot of intriguing rookies. I think, geez, Devontae Graham's teammate, P.J. Washington, has yep. really emerged lately. And I I don't know what the deal is with Kentucky players, right? I th- if you look at the list of Kentucky players drafted in like the last decade, it's just insane how many of them have emerged and become like all-star ca- caliber NBA players, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, obviously Towns was, you know, the touted prospect out of, out of college, out of high school. And then he went to college one and done. And then, you know, goes in the NBA and he's a guy that was going to get taken high no matter what, but like Devin Booker, I don't think a lot of people thought Devin Booker would be this good right. um, coming out of Kentucky. Um, I'm trying to think of well, I mean, their names. Darren Fox, Bam, right, SGA, Tyler yeah, Hero, Jamal Murray. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, and <laughs> for, for all these big time hits too. And all, I mean, all the names that we just said, our 2016 draft or or more recently you know so we're, mm-hmm. we're not even going back that far but for all those guys that have been hits you know even even guys like Collie stein trey lyles you know they're good role players right. there have been the the tyler ulysses the the scals the malik monks the kevin knoxes i mean they're they're not only pumping out great nba players they're also pumping out really bad nba players at the same time it, the, the volume there. has been impressive more than anything yeah and we, i mean they're they're the they're the team that's the basically the NBA factor, you know, yep. Coach Cal. Like we should expect just the volume alone. There's going to be more busts. Um, yep. But I just I, like you look at the like Tyler Hero and PJ Washington are the two Kentucky lottery guys that went. And like I think Hero is going to be very good for the Heat at some point. Maybe not. Mm-hmm. Like he's he's dealt with some injuries this season, and you know the Heat have seen Kendrick Nunn and Duncan Robinson have really come out of nowhere for the Heat. Um, and have emerged and they've kind of taken minutes away from hero but i think eventually hero will be a very good player mm-hmm. and again i mentioned i had a waiver wire article last week i believe saying you know get pj washington if you're in a deeper league he's a guy that's getting more minutes since he came yep. back from injury um the hornets really have no reason not to play him um so yeah i i, I think those two guys um especially lottery picks i mean if we're talking more 2019 draft guys i brandon clark man I feel like he's going incredibly overlooked. Yeah, I I looked I looked up his his per thirty six minute stats are are insane. Twenty one points per game, or per thirty six, nine point four rebounds, two point three assists. He's shooting sixty three point five percent from the field and forty two percent from three per thirty six minutes. Um, he's only getting around twenty twenty one minutes per game for the Grizzlies. Um, but I was going to mention, um, looking at like rookie of the year odds on DraftKings Sportsbook, um, just, I, I think there's a lot of, um, a lot of value, especially behind, um, behind, uh, John Morant, who's right. the clear favorite at this point. Yeah. You got Morant at minus 250, Barrett at plus 750, Zion at plus 1000, Kendrick Nunn at plus 1000, Rui at plus 2000, and then Hero uh, at plus 2000 before it drops off a little bit. But I mean, like you said, I think. Clark is probably the best value in terms of all these guys. Like I don't, I don't think he's going to win it, but mm-hmm. I think this is a year that 
if you rewind back to October, it was okay. You have to you have to take Zion. But if Zion gets hurt, who are you betting on? And now it's if Morant gets hurt, who are you betting on? And I think that's kind of how you have to frame it going forward because it's firmly Jaws to lose. You know, I don't even know that there is a very clear number two right now. And I think the fact that Zion is is third in the odds says a lot about this class. Um, but being able to get Brandon Clark at plus sixty six hundred, especially for a, a guy that's on a team that you know from the All Star break on could very easily you know pump him closer to thirty minutes, whereas right now he's been limited in the low twenties on a lot of nights. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we've seen the Memphis front court sort of struggle a little bit with health. Um, right. Jonas Jonas is is a guy that like sort he's a guy that could go down at some point. Like really, one injury and and that's kind of that's the clear path for Brandon Clark to get more minutes. And if he's playing around thirty minutes and he starts to really like, you know, Memphis has been playing really well lately, and they're they're one of the contenders for for that eight seed and if they make the playoffs like it'll mostly be a lot of the spotlight will go to jaw as long as he stays healthy but i think if one of those front court guys goes down and it's it, it brandon clark starts playing more minutes i think we could see him sort of you know i think the odds will creep up a little bit um i think there's a ton of value with Zion there though at plus 1000 mm-hmm. um it may not be enough for him there may not be enough games for him to get there um and he'd have to really come back and kill it Right. Um, but I mentioned I mentioned in one of my write ups, like the Pelicans are, you know, second to last in the West, right? But they're really only four games off of the Spurs in the standings. So they're really not that far off. And they're seven and three in their past ten games, so they're getting there. They're starting to play a lot better. We've seen Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball get there. Um they're they're starting to play incredible. Um Ingram was one of my favorite plays last night, I believe, um, against the Bulls. Um but yeah, I mean, if Zion comes back I know they're going to ease him back into it. I know he's probably not going to play back-to-backs. I know he's going to be on a minutes restriction. I think they held him out longer than they should have probably. I think they were just being cautious, like why rush him back? Mm -hmm. Um, But if he can come back and play, say, how many games can he play? Like 40, 50, give or take? Yeah, well, so the Pelicans have played 38 so far. I mean, let's say he comes back at – even if he comes back at the exact halfway point, 41, I mean, Mm -hmm. best case is probably like 35 games. Yeah, it's it's really it's really tough It'd to make tough. an argument unless he comes back and he's averaging like twenty and ten, yeah. and the Pelicans somehow jump up the standings and make the playoffs. And he would need some help. A lot would need to happen. I think. Oh, well, the, um, there's kind of a template for this too. With the Embiid played 31 games his rookie year and averaged 20 and eight with two and a half blocks. He was by far the best rookie, but that was the year that Brogdon got it. You know, based on the fact that Embiid just didn't play enough games, right? I think that would happen again. Although the the one thing working in Zion's favor is the fact that New Orleans is starting to turn it around a little bit, at least. I mean, they're still thirteen and twenty five, but they've been trending upwards the last couple of weeks. The defense has come around a ton since Derek Favors got back. If he were to come back and all of a sudden they go on a run and get the seven seed, and he's a big reason why, I think maybe that narrative could propel him. But at the end of the day, I think if if Morant stays relatively healthy. It's it's going to be his to lose. Yeah, I agree. Just because again, the Grizzlies are a team that will be competing with the Pelicans for that eight seed, seven right. seed sort of slot. And if they end up getting it, um, then yeah, it's really hard to argue against a rookie point guard who's putting up the numbers that he's putting up and make bring lifting his team to the playoffs. Yeah. So again, I, it's interesting though. You know, I mean, maybe like. I feel like if Morant were to miss like 10, 15 games, I don't want him to, obviously. Right. I don't wish that upon anyone. But if that were to happen and Zion comes back and does the Embiid kind of thing, I think it could get all, yeah. it could get very interesting. Um, I, I think the question, too, for me is one of these teams, 
distinctly wants to make the playoffs in New Orleans, or at least they wanted to coming into the year. I think Memphis will take it. I mean, they're they're sixteen and twenty two. You know, like you said, they're one game behind San Antonio right now for the eight. And I, I don't I don't think they would purposely back their way out of that. But they're in kind of a different spot than New Orleans. And I, I think falling back, you know, losing a few games and you know grabbing the third pick as opposed to the ninth pick, I think would be pretty beneficial for Memphis. And and again, I, I don't think they'll go out of their way to do that. But you know, if if we get to later in the year, I I think they're a team that could maybe pull back a little bit on Morant and Clark if they if they start to prioritize their draft spot over the playoffs, which is something I don't think New Orleans would do. No, yeah, the Pelicans the Pelicans will benefit. I mean, of course, getting a high lottery pick for any team is beneficial, right. but I feel like the Pelicans have their core in place. Right? They really like. I guess if they added another high draft pick, like. Maybe they could, you know, swing a trade to bring in someone else to pair with Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball and Zion. But you have to think about, you know, long term paying all those guys. Right, exactly. Um, so yeah, I mean, Memphis. Again, I I could see a scenario where maybe John Morant sort of gets a little banged up late in the season, and yep. you know they're they're sort of faltering in the playoff race, and they're you know four, five, six games back, and they're like, all right, let's take the let's take the yep. foot off the gas pedal let's maybe rest rest moran a little bit and cuz again if the, who who cares if you're making the eight like i'm very much the type of person that will take a tank and take the higher draft pick over just making the playoffs just right. for the sake of making the playoffs for the sake of making some progress the ultimate goal is to win the championship mm-hmm. um you know, making the playoffs is nice, but like if you're the Grizzlies, you're making the playoffs and you're losing to the Lakers, you're losing to the Nuggets, you're losing to the Clippers in the first round. It's probably going to be a sweep. It's probably not going to be anything close. We rarely see in the NBA where, you know, the eight seed comes out of nowhere and upsets, you know, what the last time it was that the what the Warriors team upsetting the Mavericks. Yeah, was right? that 07, <laughs> I want to say? Yeah. yeah. And, and that even that, I mean, the NBA, the NBA was different back then. That Mavs team. That Mavs team was good. You know, they were a 50-plus win team. They were the one seed for a reason, but yeah. they weren't stacked in the same way that a lot of the one seeds are now. You know, that was mm-hmm. a that was a team very similar to the team that won the title, you know, four or five years later. They they were not your juggernaut one seed. I mean, I, the Warriors of the last four years were not going to lose to an eight seed, and I don't, I don't think this year's Lakers or Clippers or whoever it is are going to lose to this Memphis team either. No, you could, you could take... You could probably send the Lakers out there without LeBron or Anthony Davis, and that team gets it done against the yeah. Grizzlies. And yeah. same same with the Clippers. Yeah. You could take Paul George out of the equation. Kawhi beats that team easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think for Memphis, this year is already a win as far as I'm concerned. I mean, John Morant turned out to be just as good, if not better, than you thought. Brandon Clark turned out to be just as good, if not better. Um, you know, I think that was that was kind of the main thing was, all right, how does John Morant look against real competition night in and night out? You know, we really only saw him against high major d1 schools three or four times throughout his college career and i I think the fact that he's the real deal anything that happens after that is is just kind of gravy for them Mm -hmm. oh yeah and i was high on jaw coming out of coming out of school uh i didn't really buy into the narrative that he didn't play anyone and that Mm -hmm. was the whole case like he, he got his team to the tournament did they win a game in the tournament yeah they beat marquette right yeah so they won a game in the tournament i i forget who they played in the second round um, last year, I think it was Florida State. I want to say, and they got they got killed. Right. Yeah. But again, that's that's a situation where like Florida State powered. You know, Florida State had a lot of athletes <laughs> yeah. that Murray State did not have. Yes, they're usually Florida State's usually a team that has a lot of size in yep. college. No, um, exactly. But yeah, I, I mean, we've seen a ton of guys emerge. Like, there's two of them on the Blazers: Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. Both came from small schools and yep. are both 
you know, all-star caliber players. Dame's probably one of the you know better players in the, in the NBA. Um, so I don't really buy – again, I try not to buy in too much to those sort of draft profiles. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of the eye test, and I feel like – Watching Ja run up and down the court and just make these plays and some of the passes he was making in college, you just can't really, you can't really teach that. Um, it's just sort of ingrained in him. And he came into the NBA and it was just sort of the perfect environment. It was a better environment than the college game. I, I'm very, I love college basketball and I think it's very exciting. It it can be insanely frustrating to watch at times. Um, just the quality of of the basketball that you're watching. Um, especially when you're watching West Virginia basketball. I watched that. Just, I watched a little bit of that game oh, against Oklahoma State earlier this week. That was one of those like turn it on last? and it, it says it's the second half and then like the score does not match up with the amount of time left. <laughs> yeah, I think the over under. I uh, my my buddy Julian Edlow who does DK mm-hmm. Live stuff. Um, check his stuff out. But yeah, he was all over the under for that game, and I was like, yeah, the under was like the over under was like one thirteen or something like that. Something <laughs> stupid. It's like. There, there's no way, there's no way these two teams make it above sixty. No one's making it above sixty points. No one, um, especially like Big Twelve, pretty competitive conference. Like a lot of those teams in the middle of the pack that aren't ranked are still going to be tough, um, tough sort of draws. Uh, so really, and West Virginia is just so they're just going to brick stuff. Um, but we're getting we're getting off course again with the college talk. Yeah, uh, <laughs> do you guys you- have a college podcast? I can go. Uh, we actually do. I can uh, I can hook you up with those guys if you want to talk West Virginia. It, there's not a ton of, of Mountaineers talk on there, but you know, no, we, yeah, we can get that change. Much, I can I can do some Big Twelve, but West Virginia is my is my sweet spot, I guess. I've been looking to start a like 2003 through 2007 college basketball podcast. That's kind of where I left <laughs> off. Like, if anybody wants to t- do like a Mustafa Shakur only podcast, <laughs> that that's kind of more my wheelhouse. Yeah, I what back then? I mean, I was a big Florida guy oh, in really? that okay. in that range. The Joe Kim Noah, yep, Al Horford yep. teams, um, UCLA. I was high on. I oh, loved yeah. UCLA. The Josh Ship teams, Ooh, the Jordan Darren Farmer Collison. teams. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Um, Luke Maba, Amode. Yep. Um, I butchered that. Lorenzo Mata. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if it was just, if it's just our age, but like college basketball just seemed so much more appealing back then, and I'm, I'm sure it hasn't changed that much. But I, I don't think I could ever get as into it as I was as a seventh grader. Oh no, it, I think it has a lot to do with how create like how many upsets there are now compared to then yeah because i remember my best my best um my best brackets were when i was in high school like i was picking i feel like picking the final four for those florida the florida back-to-back and when unc won with tyler hansborough um those teams were just so much like they were just stacked teams because that final four when florida when florida went to it i think both of them were pretty much like ohio state georgetown florida ucla yeah, I, I think, think UCLA went was... to three straight at one point. Yeah. Um, who did the, who did Florida beat for the first one? I, I know the second one, I think, was Greg Oden, right? Uh, did they – the first one, they beat UCLA. Okay. I'm pretty yeah, sure. Yeah, in the national right. championship, right? Or they beat them in the final I, – I, it was so long ago. That, uh, UCLA sounds correct. <laughs> I don't know. That, I'm that really pretty sure it was UCLA. Um, and then that – and then what? There was the Greg Oden, Mike Conley team. Yep. And then – uh, Georgetown had Roy Hibbert, right? Oh yeah, uh, I mean, they, they had stacked. some names back then. Yeah, Jeff Green oh, coming yeah. through there. <clears throat> yeah, it was. I think it was much easier to pick now. Like who? Jeez, who saw Butler coming out of nowhere right. those two years? Um, what other teams? Yeah, that I mean team... Gonzaga's obviously emerged. I mean they've always been around, but I think they've become right. even more of a threat. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, even this year specifically, I was listening to the CBS college basketball pod a couple weeks ago with Gary Parish and Matt Norlander, and I, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but they were they were talking about um, just kind of like the Ken Palm ratings for each team, and the overall point was like the teams that have been number one this year, and I think we're on pace to set the record, like shatter the record for most teams being number one in a season, which speaks to just kind of the lack of of elite elite teams at the top. Um, basically what they were saying is like the teams that are number one this year, their net rating is like the, the net rating of like a number 10 team in most years. Mm -hmm. So it's just kind of, it's just kind of been this rotation week to week where like me, if you're more of a college basketball fan at this point, I was like, I, I checked the other day and I assumed Kentucky was still a top five team. Like last time I watched a full college basketball game, you know, they were, they were winning a game at Madison square garden on opening night. And all of a sudden now they're ranked like 18th in the country. And it, it seems like week to week, there's just been so many fluctuations. Oh, yeah, and so Kentucky's at 14 now. You also have a team like Villanova that's 16. Yep. And a team like both of the both of the reigning champions the past two years, Villanova and Virginia, are towards are towards like the 20 range now or the late teens. Um, so, like, and, and even Texas Tech as a team, you know, they lost Jarrett Culver, um, obviously their best player. But, like, th this, is, this is why, I guess this is why the tournament, a lot of people view it as a lot better nowadays, right? Because there's just so much, there's, it's way unpredict, it's way too unpredictable. Because mm -hmm. um, you have those teams that are that technically elite. And again, I think coaching has a lot to do, a lot to do with the success of, of most of these programs. And, you know, Villanova, sure. both Villanova and Virginia have great coaches. Coach Cal is a great coach. Um, so yeah, it's gonna, it's gonna make for a really interesting tournament again. Yeah. I mean, as a Wisconsin fan too, it's been tough since the, the highs of 2016 and just like knowing that there's almost no chance that that's ever going to happen again. I, I think, <laughs> yeah, that was a, a long ride home from, from Indianapolis kind of realizing that that was, that was our one chance. Um, but to put a bow on the, on the draft talk and the college talk, I, I was looking up the, the list of Kentucky players drafted um, in the last decade there have been 38 players drafted. This is not even counting guys who ended up signing as as undrafted free agents. 38 guys have been drafted since 2010, from Jody Meeks uh, all the way up to the the Keldon Johnson uh, pick this past year. In the previous decade, from 2000 to 2009, six Kentucky players were drafted. So that is that is the John Cal Perry difference. Yes, and some of those some of those players that were drafted in the in the what 2009 to what Tayshawn Prince. Keith Bogans, yep. my boy. Yep. Obviously, Rajon Rondo, um, Jody Meeks. <laughs> so yeah, you're not. It really, it really start. You can see where it starts, right? It starts with the Daniel Orton, Eric Bledsoe, right. um, Demarcus Cousins kind of team. Um, yep. John Wall. Um, so <laughs> yeah, it's it's sort of crazy how that works out. Yeah, that that's one of the few kind of landmark college basketball teams I think in this in this current era where where you know guys are kind of in and out every year. Um, there have been a few. You know, Kentucky's had probably multiple. Duke's had a couple, but. Um, I think especially for people kind of in their mid to late 20s that that Kentucky team really stood out mm -hmm. fantasy basketball fans the NBA regular season has arrived FanDuel is offering the most exciting ways to play fantasy basketball no matter what you're looking for FanDuel has something for everyone tons of different contests and formats to choose from and these contests start at just 25 cents per entry all you have to do is pick a contest choose your team and enjoy watching your results in real time you can play against your friends for bragging rights, or you can play against the public for millions of dollars in cash prizes. To take advantage of our special offer for new FanDuel users, all you have to do is sign up today at FanDuel.com slash RW. That's FanDuel.com. To take advantage of our special offer for new FanDuel users, sign up today at FanDuel.com slash RW. That's FanDuel.com 
slash RW. You'll get a free six-month subscription to roadwire.com with that first deposit on FanDuel. That'll get you access to all of our DFS lineup optimizers, premium articles, draft software, all of the tools that you need to win your fantasy league this season. Again, just visit fanduel.com slash RW, fanduel.com slash RW, void where prohibited. We talked a little bit about the bottom uh, or kind of the middle bottom, I guess, of, of each conference, those races for the seven and eight seeds. But uh, I'm, I'm curious to know how many contending teams do you think there are in, in each conference? So we'll start with the East. Like how many teams realistically could you see maybe not winning the finals, but but getting to the finals? So winning and realist winning and making it there, I think, are two different animals this season. Um, and I think there are clearly three teams ahead of everyone else, and it's the Bucks, the Lakers, and the Clippers. After that, I think there's a group, a, a tier of teams, and it's very, it's very large, this tier. I think there are a lot of teams, especially in the East. I think the East is much more wide open, obviously, because the West, you, it's going to be tough for some of those teams, not the Lakers and Clippers, to really compete with LeBron, AD, Paul George, and Kawhi. Um so I think in I think realistically the first tier is Bucks, Lakers, Clippers. After that you get into like a lot it's it's very it's very jumbled. I think in the West, uh the Nuggets, you know, they're they're gonna be up there. They have a lot of depth. They play defense when they want to, they haven't been doing it lately. Um I think you can't really count out the Rockets with James Harden and Russell Westbrook uh in the playoffs. Um I mean I I really I'm really high on the Celtics and the Raptors. The Raptors I think are the most are the most interesting team from a you know from a real life perspective and from a gambling perspective uh, as far as the as far as the the race for a championship goes. Yeah, the Raptors are another team I was really wrong about. I I was high on Siakam, um, but I, I thought guys like Gasol, uh, Ibaka, Kyle Lowry would just kind of run out of gas. You know, it, it seemed like last year, especially for for Lowry and Gasol, was kind of the culmination of everything. And you know, with Kawhi leaving, it it kind of felt like their their one chance, which you know they took advantage of was had probably passed them and I really thought they would take a step back and this would be kind of a holding pattern year for them but I mean even with these injuries they're they're in fourth place they have, they have a better record than Philly right now which I think would have seemed crazy at the start of the year um I I'm still tempted to throw Philly though into that first tier I agree with you Milwaukee the Lakers and the Clippers are the three that are up there for sure um and I don't want to put too much stock into one game but watching Philly on Christmas Day drill all those threes you know really never let Milwaukee claw their way back into that game I think that kind of bought them a lot of cachet nationally. And and to me, they're kind of like the Clippers of the East, where you look right now, the Clippers are 26 and 12. It seems like once a week, they'll take a bad loss. You know, they have guys in and out of the lineup. But as long as Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are healthy in the playoffs, I don't care if they're the one seed or the eight seed, you don't want to play them. And they, to me, they're still going to be the favorite. And Philly has, has probably been even more disappointing or has at least showed some more concerning signs as they're 24 and 14 right now but but they're one of those teams too that whether they climb their way up to two or whether they stay in the four five six range like i still think milwaukee does not want to face that team in the east finals oh no absolutely not and i was actually before prepping for the for the podcast i specifically was going to bring up the christmas game and i think that's the big knock on Giannis and the bucks right is because if you if you get guys that can bang down low and cause problems for Giannis. The Bucks are very easy to beat, especially obviously they didn't have Eric Bledsoe, which plays a factor. And I think the Bucks will make some moves at the deadline. Um, hopefully, add some more depth, maybe another shooter. But I think the Sixers are the most enigmatic team in the NBA. They could they could 
play in that four, like they could play the Raptors or like the Celtics or the Pacers in a four five or a three six matchup in the first round and lose, or they could go all the way to the finals and probably push either the Lakers or the Clippers to, you know, six or seven games, I think mm-hmm. just because of the talent that they have in their starting in their starting lineup. And if they're going to shoot the three, like they did on Christmas day, which obviously isn't going to happen every night, but they can make moves at the deadline to sort of shore up, um, shore up their three point mm-hmm. shooting and add a little bit more depth. And I think that's really all they, but they need to be, they need to be more consistent um, overall. Um, but again, in the playoffs, everything gets shorter, right? The benches get shorter. Everything's more right. simplified because you're playing against one team. And I think the Sixers are the Sixers are very much built for that playoff sort of atmosphere. Um, I know the Heat are in second in the East. They're the type of team where I think they're more of a regular season team. Uh, I think the Nuggets are sort of in that same vein where they're very much a, a regular season team. And when they get to the playoffs, they'll struggle against teams that have more star power and have guys that can really take over games. Um, I'm not, nothing against Nikola Jokic, but a lot of it's going to be driven through guard play. And, you know, Jamal Murray is a great guard, um, but I don't know if he's a guy that can really, you know, take over a series and win a series for the Nuggets. Whereas you have the Sixers where – they have Joel Embiid, you know, they have Ben Simmons, they have Al Horford, they have all these, they have these veteran guys that are, you know, Tobias Harris has been around for a while. He wants to, you know, I'm sure he's really hungry. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think the Sixers, um, the Raptors and the Celtics are, are all legit contenders for the final to make it to the finals. I think they can beat the Bucks in a seven game series. I don't know if they do. I don't know if I'd put money on it. I think the Raptors are the most the Raptors are the most interesting just because you mentioned the, all the injuries. If they get Siakam, Gasol, Norman Powell, Fred Van Vliet's out now, if they get all those guys back and healthy, especially looking at the guys that have emerged for them, um, Chris Boucher, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, both those guys have played really well. Um, Kyle Lowry's been playing on another level. Um, Serge Ibaka's looked like his old self. Um, if all that sort of comes together, they have they have the swagger, right? They're the defending champions. With or, with or without Kawhi, they're still the defending champions. And a lot of those guys are going to carry that same attitude into the playoffs. And I think that matters. Yeah, I think that's spot on. Um, <clears throat> I, th- I think to me, like Miami, Toronto, maybe Boston, um, and Denver, and I guess Utah, the way they've played the last maybe three weeks or so, puts them in this category. Those teams are all right there if one of the top teams slips up or has an injury or doesn't add the pieces that we think they might add like i i would never pick denver over the clippers or over the lakers in a series right now but if lebron tweaks his groin for a game or two or you know davis keeps up with these shoulder issues like then they're right there um and i think the question too is do the lakers specifically because i think i think the clippers are set as is i mean they they could always use another guy but i I think they're so much deeper than la uh, than the lakers that is as it stands right now, do the Lakers have a possible trade in them? I, I think the the rumors that we saw earlier this week about Bogdanovich would be ideal. I think that's almost a too good to be true scenario for the Lakers. I mean, if the Kings value Kuzma that highly, I think you make that deal like right now. Um, and the fact that it hasn't happened uh, right now probably indicates that those rumors weren't exactly true. But if it's not Bogdanovich, I, I don't know who the next piece is for the Lakers because this, this is kind of an odd trade deadline that we have coming up because as we talked about at the top, there are really only like one or two teams in the entire league that you look at right now and say, all right, these guys, these, these teams are not contending. They might be sellers, you know, and a couple of those teams are like the Cavs and the Knicks who really don't have the type of pieces that a team like the Lakers or the Clippers or the Bucks would be looking to buy or, or buy out, you know, at the deadline. Right. Because it'll be, it'll be pretty difficult for 
any of those contending teams to fit in Kevin Love. Right. And I don't really know if that works out for them, really. I think Andre Iguodal is the guy that you have to yeah. keep an eye on. I think he's going to swing it. I think he'll probably end up either on one of the L.A. teams. I think it'll be the Lakers or the Clippers, ultimately. Um, just because I, I, think, I think the logistics of it would be pretty simple um, as far as working out a deal. Um, but yeah, I mean, adding if, if the Lakers can add Iggy um, to the mix, I think that sort of puts them over the top. I don't necessarily know if Iggy fits in much with the Clippers. I think the Clippers have their crunch time lineup pretty much set, right? right. Um, with Beverly, Lou Will, Montrez Harrell, Paul George, and uh, and Kawhi Leonard. I don't think you really want to mess with that too much. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think ultimately Iggy will end up on the Lakers. I could maybe see him you know, entertaining the idea of going to like a Milwaukee team. I think that's sort of what the Bucks need. I think if you had a backcourt, if you could play Eric Bledsoe and Andre Iguodala in the backcourt on that team, um, that would be very tough for a lot of the – especially like if you're looking at um, how the East shakes out, right? Like if the Bucks are going to have to go through teams like the Heat, Celtics, yep. and Raptors that have elite point guards and Kyle Lowry, Kemba Walker, um, Jimmy Butler – uh, then yeah, I mean, if you have two guys that are stoppers, that'll make it very difficult. It, it'll make it very difficult on those teams. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think Iggy's a guy that you got to keep an eye out for. Bogdanovich is interesting because um, I looked at it, and if the Lakers w- were to roll with a lineup that's what Avery Bradley, Bogdanovich, LeBron, Anthony Davis, um, who is the other guy? I was looking at this before. I had I had the lineup. I mean, do you, do you go with the center, or do you you're you're talking Davis at center? I mean, Danny Green, I think, is probably the fifth. Guy. No, yeah, yeah, that was it. Yeah, so you're you're essentially going with you're going with the three guards. Bogdanovich is your three. LeBron's your four, and AD's your five. Yeah, I think that's. I, think I don't think you ever want to close with Dwight or McGee. No, no, um, and even like that's the thing where if, if the Lakers were to add Iggy, it sort of makes it perfect, right? You can start Bradley, Danny Green, Iguodala, James, and Davis. That's your crunch time li- time lineup, and you you can throw Iggy on Kawhi, and you can throw LeBron on Paul George, or mm-hmm. vice versa. And it I, kind of it should make things pretty pretty easy. Yeah, at some point LeBron's going to have to guard those guys. I know he doesn't want to do it in the regular season, and and honestly, I think that's fine. I mean, he's kind of been this is really shouldn't be news that he doesn't want to guard Kawhi. He hasn't wanted to guard any star players in like five years at least. So I, I think <laughs> yeah. he'll do it when it comes down to it. I mean, at, at the end of the day, they don't have any other options. You know, it's like, no. you, you don't want Kyle Kuzma guarding Kawhi Leonard with four minutes left in, in a game six. You know, I, I think at that point, LeBron kind of becomes LeBron that, that you need on the defensive end. And his effort, I think has been better on that end for the most part this season. Um, but you, you talked about Milwaukee, you know, maybe adding someone like Iguodala at, Unfortunately, with the way that their cap shakes out, and it's just kind of a lot of bad luck with how these contracts all kind of came up at the same time and how they had really no choice but to overpay Chris Middleton, they're pretty limited in what they can do. And, you know, it's, it's going to be pretty limited to these, these buyout type of guys like Onegodala, you know, guys you're giving up a second round pick for. You know, they, they, they don't really have a splashy addition in them, and I think they'll be fine. Um, you know, they'll, they'll probably get a free first round win over Brooklyn or Orlando or whoever it is in the eight, but. I think it's going to be a little bit of a tougher road for them through the East than it was last year. And I, I think they're going to end up running into a lot of the same problems, honestly. I mean, they, it, the comparison to the, you know, the pre-Miami LeBron Cavs teams is kind of becoming cliche at this point. But 
it really, really feels like that a lot of nights. You know, I, I think the uh, they really can't get out of it at this point. But I, I think having Chris Middleton as your number two guy and committing to that, uh, and again, you know, they they were kind of backed into a corner, but that's a really, really tough pill to swallow, you know, for these next four or five years with that contract. And I don't know if there's a way out of that at some point, but there's just not much precedent for for a team, especially in this era of the NBA, winning a title with a, a player of that caliber as your for sure second best player. Yeah, and I think that's that will ultimately lead to their downfall this season, yep, just I because agree. they 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 don't have anyone behind Giannis. And Christmas Day was a perfect example where, like, you know, they didn't have Bloodsoe, but Bloodsoe isn't a guy that's like if we're, if we're comparing that this Bucks team to the to the big three Heat teams. I mean, Dwayne Wade's a Hall of Famer. Dwayne Wade's probably the top five shooting guard. Um, Chris Middleton and Eric Bledsoe aren't anything close to Dwayne Wade. Um, Chris Bosh, I'm not, <laughs> I don't, I don't particularly like Chris Bosh too much, but like he, he's a perennial All Star, probably right. one of the better power forwards of his era. Um, so yeah, I mean there was, and just the role players on those Heat teams were way, way better than right. um, what the Bucks are working with, and the competition in those Eastern conferences for the Heat yeah. was was a joke. It was the Derrick Rose Bulls, and like that was it. Um, I'm a Bulls fan, so I remember those. I remember those uh, those days pretty um, pretty uh, vividly. Yeah, um, oh, I mean the counter argument, of course, is that Heat team lost to a team structured like this Bucks team in Dallas. But I mean, the, mm-hmm. the more that we move further and further away from that, it, it's such an anomaly. You know, when you look at the teams that won it the next few years, of course, the Heat had the next two, and then the Spurs, and then it became Warriors, Cavs, and I, I just think the teams that have been winning titles for the last six or seven years have just been, you know all-time elite caliber teams and with the way that team building has gone where you know you're stacking at least two all nba caliber players on the best teams in the league and especially when you look in the west both both of the top contenders in the west have that even though milwaukee might be deeper or you know have at least more consistency in spots like four through ten on the roster we saw in the playoffs last year like that really didn't end up mattering a lot of those guys who were great contributors for them in the regular season like you said early on the the rotations tighten up and all of a sudden you know those those 12 good minutes that you got out of pat Connaughton for most of the year didn't really matter all that much you know in in games three through six against toronto yeah it didn't like if you if you look at the breakdown list last year in the playoffs at least like you know the bucks were using a pretty as far as as far as their playoff run they were using a pretty deep bench and i think that's mm-hmm. what ul- that's what ultimately kind of cost them um in in the series against the raptors um just cuz the raptor the raptors had such a good starting f- uh, such a good starting five and yep. then they had and then they had the bench mob where they were bringing fred van vliet in off the bench um so yeah i mean I, I just it's it seems like it seems like one of those situations where like we're just heading towards Giannis leaving Milwaukee at some point. What, what when's his contract up again? When's he a free? When's he a free agent? If things um, go as expected, he would be a free agent after next season. Right. So I think I think we're heading towards a scenario where that. I mean, I saw a tweet. I saw a tweet uh, surface last night of. Um, Steph Curry going to uh, going to Giannis. Let's do it. Like, yeah. is Giannis going to go to Golden State? Like, we've seen crazier things, right? Kevin Durant ended up going. That's, to Golden that's State. That's always what I say too. I, I, <laughs> I mean, I follow uh, being in Wisconsin and you know living here my whole life. I follow a ton of Bucks people on Twitter, and it, it's getting it's getting pretty wild how defensive everybody is about this stuff. I mean, this morning I just woke up to a slew of tweets of people saying, "No, actually, Curry was telling him to shoot more threes. He didn't say." come on or come play with me or whatever but that's what that's <laughs> okay. always my defense too is like anything is possible if if durant to the warriors happened Giannis could go sign with the warrior anybody could go play anywhere like th- i don't think anything will ever top the 
the absurdity of Durant joining that team. Absolutely, yeah. The NBA is absolute insanity. You literally have to take into account everything. You have to expect everything. Anything can happen. I think that's why it's one of the most ex- – I think it's why it's the most exciting of mm-hmm. the professional sports leagues there is. Um, just because it's all about the players. It's all about the superstars. And they can do whatever they want for the most part. Um, they have a lot of power. Um, and I get it that you know a lot of fans are upset f- um, you know, players leaving teams and players, you know, moving around so often, but like, I don't know, I think it just keeps the league fresh. And I think this season is where we're going to see a lot of people, a lot of new fans say, Hey, wow, this is pretty awesome because for the first time in a while, we're actually getting some parody, right? Like we're yeah. not going to see the warriors in the finals for the first time in what five seasons. Um, right. We're going to, we're, we may not see LeBron in the finals again. Um, I know he wasn't in the finals last year, but you know, prior to that, he had been in what eleven straight finals, something like that. <laughs> eight straight, um, I think. Yeah, eight straight, eleven. <laughs> yeah, um, four, four yeah. with Miami, four with Cleveland. Right. Yeah. Um, so again, this is this is the year where like both 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 conferences are wide open. I think for the most part, you have those teams at the top that you know should make it out of there. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, would we be surprised if? you know, the Clippers ended up losing or the Lakers ended up losing at some point, whether it's in the second round, I think it would have to be in the second round. Right. Although the way the Clippers are playing, they could end up playing the Lakers in the second round, which would be pretty, pretty nuts. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think there is more parody, but there's also competitive parody, I guess, or more Mm -hmm. like there's, there like even the teams that are in, you know, sixth or seventh place have, have stars. You know, I think you look at, I think there was more parody in the league in the previous decade, but you know, you look back, those those old like Lakers Nets finals are always on NBA TV. And you look back at those Nets teams, you're like, how the hell did this team make it to two straight finals? <laughs> same, same with that Iverson Sixers team before that, where the second best player was like Dikembe Matumbo at age 38. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. like you, you had teams that were making it deep into the playoffs in, in previous years that just weren't that good. And it, it feels like you could be the five seed in the East this year and still feel really, really good about your team. You know, and I, I think the overarching point is that there's just no there's no kingpin like the Warriors that were just so far and away the best team to the point that, you know, other all-time great teams were just getting blown out, you know, like like some of those Cavs teams did. And I think not having that anymore, yet still having still having a lot of powerhouses, but powerhouses that feel beatable, I think is kind of the sweet spot that the NBA is in. Yeah, and I think a lot of that is a product of just the quality of players that are coming out of college through the pipeline. Right. There's just so many great players coming through college um and the league is just riddled with like we see it all the time where you know guys switch teams or guys go into bigger roles um you know and just sort of emerge and look like all-stars and i feel like there are a ton of teams that are just or a ton of players rather that are buried on depth charts yeah and you know if they were to get more playing time and a bigger opportunity um they'd emerge like victor oladipo is a good example um really wasn't much of the guy with the thunder goes to the pacers in that Paul George trade, and boom, he's an all-star. Um, and he's a guy, you know, we haven't really talked about some of those other teams sort of in that six, um, the seven range, uh, five, six, seven range in both conferences. And I think, you know, the Pacers are an interesting sort of team. I think they're, I don't think they're an easy draw for a team like the Heat or the Celtics, if that's how it shakes out um, in the first round, especially if Victor Oladipo and Malcolm Brogdon can get healthy. Um, just because Demont- Demontis Sabonis has been playing out of his skull, mm-hmm. um, you know Miles Turner. They have they have a pretty good um, front court, back court for for Indiana there, and 
you know, they've, they've got a decent amount of depth. Um, maybe not so much in the front court, but, you know, Aaron Holiday stepped up pretty well for, um, for Malcolm Brogdon when he's, when he's been hurt, at least in terms of fantasy. Yeah. Um, he's been, he's been I mean, really good. Yeah. Um, they're they're kind of in that same position. I, I know I said earlier that Portland is the one team, you know, that has this big piece to bring back in Nurkic, but I mean, Indiana is basically in the exact same situation and it sounds like they'll get Oladipo back. I think he's set to return like January 29th. Right, was yeah, the date that they the put Bulls. out there. So I mean, he's going to be back before the end of the month. Yeah, and I imagine again, like like most players coming back, they'll you know ease him back. He probably won't play on back to backs. He'll probably be limited to around like you know twenty minutes a game. That'll be his cap. But you know that'll only be for I imagine maybe a couple weeks, um, and then they sort of unleash him. Um, so yeah, I mean the the pace i feel like the pacers were sort of that dark horse team last year and then they really just couldn't stay healthy um and now this year uh, it was looking like if they could get oladipo back with how brogdon was playing that maybe they could make some noise um but i mean even even a team like the nets um if they get kyrie back they've they had been playing well um prior to the seven game losing streak um but i mean they're still they're still in the playoff hunt so if they can get Mm -hmm. kyrie back and start playing like they were before which may be tough because a lot of the a lot of people will tell you that he, the Nets were playing better because Kyrie was out. Um, which I can see I can see both sides um, of that argument. Um, but I there, there's a ton of there, there's a ton of that kind of those kind of situations mm-hmm. with these bottom teams where you know if they add a guy if they get a guy back um, you know it could change the whole complexion of the conferences. All right, let's do just a couple more things before we get you out of here. Um, the second returns for all-star voting came in like 45 minutes ago mm-hmm. and it, it's about about chalk at the top as you'd expect uh lebron has overtaken um Giannis and Doncic as the top overall vote getter he's at 3.3 million uh, obviously the top spot in the west Giannis still the top spot in the east Doncic is at 3.2 million just below lebron um but it, I, I think fan voting you know is obviously only 50 percent of the the component here but in the western conference i think the fan voting pretty accurately reflects uh how the starting lineup is going to end up looking um lebron and davis are one and two in the front court by a mile i think they're pretty much locks Doncic and harden are one and two in the backcourt by an even larger margin i mean the the gap from harden at two to lillard at three is like one and a half million votes which which Mm -hmm. is obviously a a huge amount and probably insurmountable uh at this point so I, i think in the west Doncic, harden lebron davis are locks who would be your fifth starter, or who? Would, you know, it has to be a front court player, I guess, with with how the voting works. Who do you think is most deserving of that spot? I mean, it's probably Kawhi. Yeah, um, most likely. I don't know if he's. I mean, it's it's tough to gauge Kawhi, right? Because he's so like level headed. Um, right. You know, he's having a he's having a pretty good season. Maybe the Clippers aren't aren't playing as well as you would have liked, but. You know, they it's it's again, they're not built for the regular season. They're built to compete in the playoffs. That's the point. Um, but I mean, Kawhi's still averaging 25 points a game, 7.6 rebounds. The Clippers are a top four team in the West. I think Kawhi is the guy that'll that'll ultimately be that fifth starter. Um, I mean, it depends. I guess if it's I mean, the way the voting shakes out there, it's really no argument, right? Kawhi is. Yeah sort of sort of far away from Paul George and Nikola Jokic and Carl Anthony Towns who would be those other those other guys that are sort of in consideration there um but I mean it's it also you also have to sort of take into account um uh team composition right I guess I guess Kawhi makes the most sense as the three if you're playing LeBron at the four um but a I mean AD is more of a four so you could argue like 
you know, maybe get Jokic in there and you're starting fives, Jokic, AD, LeBron, Doncic, and Harden. Um, yeah, I think but, Jokic yeah, is fair. I think there's an argument for, for Paul George, maybe. I mean, in terms of missed games, him and Kawhi will probably end up being pretty close by the time mm-hmm. we get to All-Star Weekend. Um, two weeks ago, Towns probably had a, a really strong case to be that guy or at least give give Leonard a run for it. But I think he's probably missed too much time now to be a real consideration. Yeah. Um, in the East, I think Giannis and Embiid are locks up front. Uh, Siakam, if he comes back in time, I think was pretty solidly that third guy. But if, if he continues to miss time, I, I could see Jimmy Butler maybe overtaking him. I could see Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown, one of those two, maybe overtaking him. Bam Adebayo, certainly deserving. I, I don't know if he ultimately gets there. I, I think he's probably a reserve this year. But to me, the backcourt is very much up for debate. If you look at the the voting, says it's Trey Young and Kyrie Irving, and then Kemba Walker is not far behind Kyrie. But I mean, as you just said, Kyrie hasn't played in a month. I mean, Trey Young is on the worst team in the NBA right now. The Hawks are eight and thirty. We've seen that kind of hurt guys in the past. You know, Devin Booker's never been an All Star. Uh, there's been a, a ton of players like that. Um, where, where would you lean for for one or both of your spots in the East? Um, I mean. I, I'm okay with I'm okay with putting Trey Young in there. Um, I don't know if you I don't know if you should knock him just because he's on a on a bad team because he doesn't seem like I mean he's he's a baller right he went out he went he went out against James Harden almost beat the Rockets to put up a forty point triple double um, last night mm-hmm. which is pretty incredible um, especially for a kid that young um, I mean I can't imagine Kyrie will play in this game um, I don't think he's deserving obviously i mean if you're if you're going chalk kemba walker trey young is your backcourt and then it's Giannis, Embiid, and jimmy butler is most likely what mm-hmm. would shake out what it would shake out to be um i hope siakam comes back because i think he's again more than deserving of being in that slot um kyle lowry is a guy that i could maybe see jumping up and being a starter a starter um in the backcourt um potentially just because of how he has the he's pretty much the only one left standing for the Raptors right now and they've you know you know they've they've stayed afloat and they're still you know top 4 team in the east um without all those players in there so i think that accounts for something um i'd say if Bradley Beal wasn't dealing with so many um injuries recently he mm-hmm. you know the wizards the wizards have had some pretty impressive wins lately they have um over the Celtics and, and Nuggets um and they've done it with they've done it with and without Beal i'm pretty i, I believe um but yeah i mean their offense has been pretty exciting all season long despite having pretty much no talent outside of beal um so yeah i mean beal's a guy that i would like to see you know get in there maybe a reserve spot um but i think that chalk the chalk starting five that i mentioned before is probably what it'll shake out to be yeah i I don't know if you saw right before we started recording Kyrie said he's hoping to be back next week so i mean maybe there's a chance he he's able to salvage enough games and obviously he's extremely popular and and he'll be right Right. there for the fan vote but i think he's missed enough time that you know you never know how the players are going to vote that's kind of the one thing that that messes with this i don't Mm -hmm. think the coaches give him any respect you know even if he had played i think he's one of those guys that's probably more of a players and fans guy than a coach's guy Um, but I'm, i'm with you on trey young i mean i a few weeks ago, I, I think I would have pushed back a little bit more, but it is to the point now where you almost have to view his numbers independently of the team. I mean, they're, they're getting to the point where he's at 29 points a game, eight and a half assists, 45% from the field, 38% from three. I know he's horrific on defense, and that's that's a major issue when it comes to wins and losses, but at some point, the numbers become so impressive that you kind of have to, to look past everything else. Right. 
and I mean, everyone, his, his biggest comp, right, is Stephen Curry mm-hmm. um, for the most part. And I'm trying to pull up, I'm trying to compare some of their numbers from early on. Because um, obviously, I mean, Trey Young in his second season, he's already averaging 29 points per yeah. game. Very different teams, um, clearly. But I mean, Steph, Steph in his second season shooting 44% from three. Um, Trey Young way, way below that mark. But again, he's, you know, the volume's there and he's, and he's, and he's averaging mm-hmm. 29 points a game and it's his team. Um, it seems, um, so yeah, it's, it's a little tough to compare the two. Um, even though a lot of people, you know, like to do that just because, you know, oh, he's, he's Trey Young's that, you know, undersized guard that can yeah. shoot the ball from like 30 feet out, 35 feet out and make these incredible shots. And well, oh, style, like I mean, Stephen stylistically, <laughs> stylistically they're the same i think i mean i think yeah. it's a great cop the problem is the nba was so much different in steph curry's second year versus trey young's second year you know you look at the pace right. for example the hawks are playing at like basically 103 pace and that warriors team in steph's second year was at like 94 which would be far and away the slowest team in the league this season you know by by mm-hmm. a mile so it it's really really tough to compare those individual seasons and i don't think it's it's also not fair to compare 2016 steph to this year's trey you know so i think they're right they're very similar players and it doesn't seem like they've you know that they're they're that far off in terms of the timeline but i think it just speaks to how much different and how much faster i guess the the game is played and how much more three-point friendly it is now for i mean curry curry wasn't the player that he is right now when he came into the league you know like that style like he he was taking quote unquote a lot of threes but you know, taking if you took five or six threes a game in 2009, that was the equivalent of taking like 12 a game now. Right. Yeah. Because the if you look at it, the first three seasons he was taking around five. Yeah. Jumps up to eight. Jumps up to you know around double digits. Um, the past five seasons. Um, and he's still shoot and he's still shooting at like he's shooting at a better clip. Um, given the volume, which is right, pretty remarkable. Um, but again, Steph Curry's the greatest three point shooter to ever live, probably at this point. Um, and his career isn't even, I mean, hopefully isn't even close to being over. Yeah. He's only 31. Um, yeah, I mean, but I mean, I think Trey can, I think Trey can sort of get, cause if you look at it, Trey's taken around 10 three pointers per game and his, you know, his, his percentage is down, but I think that'll only get better. Um, I think it'll only jump up, um, at this point as he sort of like develops and gets stronger. Cause he's still, still really, um, yeah. Well, I, I think the hope is too. If you're if you're a Trey Young fan or a Hawks fan, the hope is that this is the worst supporting cast he'll ever have. You know, I, I think <laughs> it, it really can't go any lower uh, than, than this group. So I, I think not playing alongside this version of Cam Reddish or spending you know 40 minutes a night with Bruno Fernando or Alex Len as your center uh, should at least in theory help as he as he grows. But yeah, I mean, it's the trajectory is is pointed decidedly up for him. Um, all right, I want to end with just another look at some more futures bets. We we hit on a few of okay. them. Um, we talked about rookie of the year already. Um, I think defensive player of the year is interesting. Uh, Anthony Davis is the heavy favorite right now. He's at minus 177, and the next highest odds are Gobert at plus 300. You have Giannis at plus 600 and Bede at plus 600. And then there's a pretty deep drop-off to Ben Simmons all the way down at 2,500. So the odds say that this is a four-player race. I think I agree with that at this point. Um, do you, do you really feel like Anthony Davis has ran away with it in in the same way that the odds reflect? Um, not not particularly. I think I think it's tough to gauge, right? Like I think a lot of people are basing it off of, oh, well, the Lakers were so horrible in defense last season, mm-hmm. and they added Anthony Davis, and Anthony Davis is a great interior defender, 
but overall the team is just that much like I don't LeBron is healthy the team overall like you gotta you gotta think you know new coach Frank Vogel all of these factors should play a role in them being an improved defensive team plus the fact that they're you know a relatively efficient offensive team um I don't know necessarily if Anthony Davis should be running away with it um I don't think you can really take much away from you know Rudy Gobert who's still probably the best interior defender in the NBA um I don't really I kind of like Joel Embiid at those plus 600 odds. I think he does. He didn't get a lot of love for what he did to Giannis on Christmas day. Um, That was pretty impressive. Um, So I think if Embiid can sort of stay healthy and, you know, once they start playing, you know, deeper into the season, more of these high profile games, if Embiid can really shut down, you know, Giannis again, if he can shut down um, some of the other top, uh, top bigs in the league, then I think he'll get a little bit more um, consideration um, as far as defensive player of the year is concerned, um, I mean, yeah, it's it's sort of a it's it's a very mixed bag in in the odds. It's 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 sort of hard to gauge a little bit, um, especially you know there's still a lot of season left. But I don't know, I don't know how much I don't know how much I like Davis running away with the award. Yeah, it, it it certainly doesn't feel like he has. I mean, the Lakers do have the second best defense in the league behind only Milwaukee. I I, I think I think Davis, Gobert, and Giannis should be a little closer. Like I, I think for for Davis to be at basically minus 200 and Giannis at plus 600 is way too big of a gap. You know, I, I think I think Giannis has been just as good, if not better, on defense this year. And he was a guy that into March and April last year we were still talking about as potentially the defensive player of the year. But, I mean, at, at least the way it's trending right now, it, it seems like Dar- Davis has, has grabbed the narrative, if that's fair to say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, most improved player might be the most interesting out of all of these, you know, with MVP, you know, it's, it's MVP kind of reflects defensive player of the year in terms of the odds where it's, it's Giannis is to lose at this point. You have a few other candidates, Doncic, Harden, LeBron beyond that pretty tough to make a case for anyone else, but most improved player. I mean, there are, I would say at least eight to 10 guys who you could make a pretty decent case for, and you could maybe even go deeper than that in terms of the odds you have Luca and Devante Graham are tied at plus plus one thirty for for the best odds then you have bam out of bio at plus 600 brandon ingram at plus 2000 malcolm brogdon pascal siakam sga jalen brown jason tatum and fred van vliet round out the top 10 and that's before even getting into guys like sabonis trey young davis bertans uh andrew wiggins who had a great start to the year um i mean alex caruso is listed here for some reason at at plus 1500 (laughs) um but i thought it was interesting that that graham is now pulled even with Doncic, who i believe uh, had the lead in the odds a couple weeks ago yeah i mean i those two guys i think should probably be one and two um after but after that you you mentioned so many guys right like i mean just just looking at siakam again and looking at trey young both of them nearly uh, Trey Young's jumped 10 points per game uh, since last season. Um, Siakam almost, was almost is almost at that mark. He was averaging 16.9 points per game last season, and now he's just, before the injury was ever averaging 25 points per game, mm-hmm. and pretty much leading that Raptors team that many thought would regress after Kawhi left. Um, so, like to make the jump from being sort of like a you know third, fourth fiddle on a championship team to being you know, the number one, maybe a 1A, 1B sort of scenario with Kyle Lowry on a team that also probably is a contender in the East. I think that has to be taken into account. Um, Bam Adebayo, you really can't, like, he's going to be an all-star. Um, <laughs> he's pretty much the reason the 
the Heat are doing this well. I think I, you know, nothing against nothing against Jimmy Butler. He's my boy from back in the Bulls days, but you know, Bam's just really you know stepped up and become one of the premier you know centers in the in the NBA. Um, so yeah, this is it's 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 tough, um, and that's that's not even counting Brandon Ingram, who right. you know. <laughs> you get, like, I mean, getting Brandon Ingram, uh, Brandon Ingram, I think in. 18 out of the last 20 years is like the easy pick for this and he's at plus 2000 he's the fourth favorite <laughs> i think a lot of these i think a lot of these guys i think trey young is plus 7000 and you know if you had if, if he was putting up this kind of season you know back back however so many years ago he would be you know the clear-cut um right. the clear-cut guy to be winning this award i think you can say that for a ton of guys. I mean, Sabonis. Sabonis is also plus seven thousand to win this award, and mm-hmm. you know he's maybe he's a guy that you know it's not as surprising that he's putting up you know number uh, <clears throat> these kind of numbers. But I mean, he was averaging not a not nearly a, a well close to a double double last season, mm-hmm. um, and he was sort of getting some hype for most improved player. But I mean, his numbers have gone up over the board: eighteen points per game, thirteen rebounds, four point three assists. He's a great passer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, his field goal percentage is up over fifty um, percent, and <clears throat> he's a big reason why the Pacers are even, you know, like in in the playoff race in the East right now. If they didn't have Sabonis to sort of anchor that anchor that offense down low. Um, without Brogdon and without well, Brogdon's been somewhat healthy, but you know mostly hurt. Um, and without Oladipo, I think you can make an argument for so many of these guys. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting to look at. <laughs> it's interesting to look at how this award has kind of changed in terms of how voters lean over the years. Like in the mid two thousands, there was a run where in consecutive years it was Bobby Simmons, Boris Diaw, Monte Ellis, Hito Turkoglu, Danny Granger, Aaron Brooks won this award like none of those guys were ever legitimate <laughs> no. stars i mean danny granger i mean he averaged like 26 a game that year so maybe he was you could call him a star and, and ellis obviously had some big scoring seasons but in the last the last six winners of this award uh, or five winners i should say are siakam oladipo Giannis, mccollum jimmy butler and then you had paul george um in 2012 13 as well so you had six of the last seven have been you know all-star caliber players i think mccollum's the only one who hasn't made an all-star game and that's basically because he's just been in the Western Conference. But mm. it's kind of turned into now this this award of like who's making that that leap from really good uh, supporting player to legitimate star player, as opposed to you know kind of a guy who's just emerged as a, as a decent role player. Because it seemed like that's where the award was going you know, ten years ago. Right, and I guess if we're I guess if we're taking in a, that into consideration, it has to be Doncic, right? Because right. I don't know, I don't think he was a, he wasn't really a supporting player last year. No, no, he was no. still very much the focal point for the Mavericks, but the Mavericks weren't nearly as good a team as they are this year. Um, and now you have Doncic putting up Hall of Fame numbers, historical numbers. Like there aren't many players that, in the NBA that have averaged, you know, almost thirty points in a in a triple double in a season, right? It's only Oscar Robertson and Russell Westbrook. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, I don't know if Doncic gets to thirty ten and ten on the season. It'll be tough at this point. I don't think he does, but he's going to be close. And you know, for anyone to go from any type of season in the previous year to a historical season, I think that sort of trumps any other yep. kind of argument. Yeah, I, th- I think that's the the perfect way to put it. the The recent voting precedent would imply that that's going to be Doncic, and I think personally, I would I would prefer that it go to somebody who wasn't so good the year before. I mean, he was already awesome last year. Everybody knows it. Like oh, this, yeah. this award, like this award is kind of meaningless. You know, like I don't think Giannis cared when he won Most Approved. You know, he's he's probably headed toward his second MVP, and I think Doncic is kind of on that same track. Like 
Um, I, 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 he just set the bar too high, I guess. Like, I feel like he should be like unofficially disqualified from winning an award <laughs> like this. Like, I, I would much rather see Bam or or Ingram or um, even Siakam was too good. Like, he, sh- he shouldn't even be on these odds. No, yeah, I agree. Um, I do think I do think with with what you just said, Ingram sort of fits that mold a lot because I think Ingram was getting a lot of knocks when he was on the Lakers and like they just shipped him out to New Orleans and he wasn't really going to become anything. And now, you know, he's averaging 25, six and basically 25, seven and six or uh, rather 25, seven and four. Um, his assist numbers have gone up. Um, you know, he's he's been maybe not as efficient, but like he's shooting close to 50 percent, 47 percent from the field, 40 percent from three. His three point shooting has really come on. Oh, his free um, throw shooting. Season. Look at his free throw percentage compared to last year. I mean, he's up. Like, oh, yeah. He's up 20 percentage points. <laughs> his shooting, like, yeah, his shooting, is, it's just night and day. Um, and I guess the one argument against Ingram is, you know, the Pelicans with him healthy for the most part this season um, haven't really played up to their potential. I guess it's not 100% his fault because they haven't had Zion um, and they've dealt with other injuries this season. Um, but yeah, I mean, and it's pretty, it's a pretty crowded roster if you think about it. But I don't know. That, I feel like that makes it even more kind of um, an accomplishment, right? Like he's averaging yeah. 25 points per game. He's playing on a team where you have a lot of dominant sort of um, dom- guys that are ball dominant with, you know, Drew Holiday and Alonzo Ball. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see what happens when Zion comes back if the Pelicans start to really, you know, put it all together and make a run. Um, I think it, I don't know if it'll hurt um, Ingram's numbers too much. I think he's still going to be the guy um, for New Orleans, even when Zion comes back. Um, but, yeah, I, I, he's a guy that I would, I would think gets more consideration. Um, I mean, we didn't even talk about Jalen Brown. I mean, we could go on for, we could have, yeah. a, we'd talk about this all day with these guys. There's just tons of names here. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. <laughs> I, I think Ingram, Ingram is probably the guy for me that if I, I do not try to position myself as a, a, uh, like tout in any sense of the word when it comes to like suggesting bets. But if you, if you were to place a wager on these odds, I think you're not, you're not going to find a better bet than Ingram at, at plus 2000. So I, I think you're spot on there. I think we can leave off. I've already kept you like twice as long <laughs> as I told you we would talk. But this, this has been a lot of fun, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah, this has been awesome. Uh, make sure to read all Ben's work, dknation.draftkings.com. Follow Ben on Twitter. Uh, we'll have to do this again soon. Yeah, definitely, man. This is awesome. All right. Thanks, man. Thanks, man.